Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. I'm Sherry Hoyt, and I'm your host for today. I'm excited to be speaking today with Michael Pronko, author of The Last Train, the first book in a gripping new mystery series set in Tokyo. Before we start, let's learn more about Michael. Michael Pronko has lived in Tokyo for 20 years, but was born in Kansas City, a very different world. After graduating from Brown University in philosophy, he hit the road, traveling around the world for two years working odd jobs. He went back to school for a master's in education and then took a teaching position in Beijing. For two years, he taught English, traveled China, and wrote. After more traveling and two more degrees, another MA in comparative literature in Madison, Wisconsin, and a PhD in English at the University of Kent at Canterbury, he finally settled in Tokyo as a professor of American literature at Meiji Gokuin University. His seminars focus on contemporary novels and film adaptations, and he teaches other classes in American indie film and American music and art. Konko has published three award-winning collections of essays, Motions and Moments, Tokyo's Mystery Deepens, and Beauty and Chaos, Essays on Tokyo. He has published books in Japanese and two textbooks in both English and Japanese. Over the years, he has written regular columns for many publications, The Japanese Times, Newsweek Japan, Jazz Nin, ST Shuken, Jazz Colours, and Artscape Japan. He runs his own website, Jazz in Japan, at jazzinjapan.com. He also continues to publish academic articles and helps run a conference on teaching literature. For more information about Michael Pronko and his work, visit his website at michaelpronko.com. Hi, Michael. Welcome to Inside Scoop Live. Oh, thank you for having me today. So to begin, why don't you tell us what your book, The Last Train, is about? Yeah, The Last Train is a mystery, but more of a why done it than a who done it, since you kind of know uh, what the crime is and who's involved from the beginning. But I think it's really about um, Tokyo's society and the pressures and difficulties that uh, people face, especially women, and different ways that that pressure can uh, answered and dealt with in this case uh, through murder uh, but uh, in other ways as well so it, it covers a fair bit of territory I think hmm. and what inspired you to write mystery uh, specifically a detective series based in Tokyo yeah well of course I've lived there for 20 years so that makes it easy to kind of set it there with characters that I know in the sense of you know, being around them in some ways, not detectives and hostesses in the in the night trade per se, uh, but uh, Japanese people. And uh, I think I I really well before I'd been writing nonfiction, but fiction really gives you a huge space to say so much more. Uh, you can bring in lots of ideas. You can bring in different kinds of people, different points of view. And, uh, you know, mysteries are just, I mean, people are always like mysteries. And in some ways, every novel is a mystery because you want to know what's going to happen. Uh, That's true. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. So in some ways, it was kind of a, an easy choice to put those particular characters and conflict into the mystery form. Mm-hmm. And I imagine living in Tokyo for a while gave you a good jump start on your research. Did your book require a lot of research? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say twenty years of it, kind of. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I guess uh, you know, like there's research, small R, and research, large R. I guess. Yeah, sure. I looked into some of the things about uh, detectives and how that works, how crime works. Read a lot of uh, background information. I'd been writing editorials for the Japan Times for uh, 10 years. So that really got mm. me into, you know, politics and crime and economics and a lot of places that I really didn't know about. You know, as a teacher of literature, I don't really study economic crime per se. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, it comes up from time to time. So I think in that sense, I did a lot of research. Certainly going out and around the city is really, really important to get a feel for people and places. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a great, like, lover of going out and <laughs> wandering the city. So if that's research, I certainly did a lot of that. Yeah, that's that's the best kind of research. Huh? <laughs> yeah, well, most fun anyway, yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> You've also written three collections of personal essays about living in mm-hmm. Tokyo. Mm-hmm. What do your essays reflect about life in Tokyo? Yeah, I think the nonfiction is really about my reaction to day-to-day things. In some sense, I'm not writing about anything big about Tokyo. Instead, it's like little small pieces of life there. So, you know, eating a bowl of noodles or uh, watching the neighbors do their trash or uh, just, you know, kind of day-to-day things that happen to me that seem so Japanese because they're so unlike uh, anything that I know. And I think in that way, you can get a pretty good understanding of what Tokyo is, not like, here's the best temples or here's where you have to eat, but more like, here's the experience of Tokyo, the feeling of Tokyo. Yeah, so that's what I tried to write about in those essays more. Yeah, that sounds really interesting, just kind of an inside scoop, so to speak. Well, yeah, it is kind of inside, but it's a little outside, too. Yeah. So it's kind of this odd thing because in some ways, you know, I am inside Japanese culture and Tokyo life, but, you know, I still am a foreigner there. I mean, even after all these years, so there's a little bit of, outside observation right. uh, and throw in a little bit of reflection to to bring it all together. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the cultural differences between Japan and America? One of them that hits me kind of being thinking about America again is like just the politeness of daily contact in, mm. in Japan. I, You know, Tokyo especially is so crowded that you're just always around people. And I think because of that, you know, to kind of keep society moving, you need a kind of oil, and that oil is politeness. And I think in America, people tend to kind of be straight up or honest or direct. And Mm -hmm. those are all good things, I think. But in Japan, people tend to put up a kind of front until they have trust enough to be honest and direct. Hmm. So that's a big difference, I think. Yeah. What else would I say? I would Uh, say that the pace of life 
in Tokyo. It was very fast. Mm-hmm. And things really move, you know, and nobody stops. The trains keep going. And there's never a sense of like a calm area <laughs> yeah. uh, to kind of catch your breath. Of course there are, but those tend to be kind of inside a coffee shop or at a small restaurant or something like that, or at home, I guess. But I think that contrast of you know really vibrant, moving life outside, kind of public life, public space, Mm-hmm. really contrasts with the quietness of private space. But in America, it's not that big a contrast, I guess. You know, your house is calm and there's a calm area, calm street to walk down. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's kind of a different different balance of things. Yeah. It sounds a bit like New York City. Yeah, exactly. Is there anything in particular you miss about the United States? Oh, yeah, yeah, lots of things. Um, <laughs> in America, people are always kind of, how to say, publicly, they're chatty, I guess. Not just a waiter or waitress who's trying to get a tip. All kind of people would just chat with you, whereas I think in Tokyo, people are in their role, right? Mm-hmm. They're a cashier or they're a manager or they're a policeman or something like that. So they're always doing, they're always performing their function, their role, their duty. But in America, I really, you know, it's kind of pleasant to be waited on, not by a waiter per se, but by a person, right? Because Americans always put their kind of personality out much more than Japanese would. So I kind of miss that. So when I go back to the States, it's really pleasant to interact with people in that way. I think Americans are pretty casual about things, uh, much more than Japanese. Japan's mm-hmm. still a very formal society. You know, things have to be done in the right way. But Americans are much more like, well, you know, whatever gets the job done is good. <laughs> you know? And, you know, in that kind of practical way of thinking about small things and big things both, I think... Uh, yeah, I really miss that. Of course, I miss food. Uh, uh, I don't drive in Tokyo ever, so when I come to the States, it's always kind of fun to drive again. So little things like that. Sounds wonderful to not have to drive. <laughs> yeah, it's such a pleasure, I can't tell you. As one friend the other day was saying, oh, I can't wait for driverless cars. And I said, yeah, yeah, it's called a train. <laughs> you know, I mean, because <laughs> uh, you, know, uh, you can just, get everywhere and uh, the other day uh back in the states now so i drove through uh starbucks and it was just mm-hmm. like what what is this so startling you know because <laughs> uh coffee shops in japan go inside and sit down and so on so yeah i think yeah. that not driving is just wonderful <laughs> <laughs> i agree Now, I understand you are currently a professor of American literature in Tokyo and teach a variety of subjects, and I'm curious to hear how American arts are received by university students in Tokyo. Oh, yeah. You know, students are really interested in American culture, and America is such a big place and such a Mm -hmm. famous 
place, and American culture is just washes over the <laughs> over the entire globe, but it especially flows to Japan, not just because of the relationship America and Japan has, but I think just because Japan is open to other cultures and interested in other cultures. Mm-hmm. My students, they teach different classes, like independent American film, American satire film. I teach a class in American music and American art. And I think for most students, they, you know, they might not have had a class in art at high school. You know, everything is geared towards getting through the entrance exam. So when they get a class where they can kind of respond emotionally or personally to something, it's always a bit of a shock to them. But I think they like American culture, and it seems open in a way that Japan is not. It seems very free to do as you like. And, you know, those are really appealing values, especially to young people. They see America as kind of ahead in some ways, like people don't have to work overtime against their will, or American women have a little bit better position than Japanese women do relatively. Mm-hmm. So those kind of things, I think, is really appealing to them. And they can see that if they watch, a, I don't know, a movie like Thelma and Louise or uh, <laughs> anything, they kind of get that idea like Jackson Pollock. They're like, but could he just throw the paint there? And people must have hated it at first. Wasn't you know, wasn't he criticized? Or you know, I do a section on 1960s rock, you know, anti-Vietnam War rock uh, lyrics, and they're like, well, weren't those musicians criticized by the government or something like that? You know, and so I think that kind of openness and a little bit of looseness and at least the value of freedom, if not the actuality of freedom, uh, really appeals to them. Yeah. Mm. Now, I understand you are a huge fan of jazz, and you have a website. I want to talk about that in a minute, but I want to ask, Mm. um, what cultivated your interest in this particular style of music, and what influence does it have in your life? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Well, I guess the simple answer is my father liked jazz and he had a lot of jazz records. So that was kind of his release at the end of the day, working day. Uh, He'd come home and put on jazz and he'd often listen to jazz late, you know, so I'd be kind of falling asleep with a jazz kind of coming up the staircase to my room. So that's the kind of simple answer. But I was kind of a rock person when I was young, but when I went to school, went to university, everyone was kind of impressed that I knew about jazz, even though it wasn't my music, so I thought, oh, okay, well, if it impresses them, then it must be something I should pay attention to, so uh, especially the other women students in my class, oh, you know about jazz, (laughs) oh, you know, so I thought, oh, okay, well, So I came home after that first year of college and made cassette tapes of all my father's records.
Inside Scoop Live is a global internet-based broadcast specialized in interviewing published authors about their current books and their areas of expertise. Join us and hear both well-known and upcoming writers talking candidly about their life experience as well as the business of being an author in today's literary world. Always interesting and current, we strive to bring our audience high-quality discussions that spotlight a vast diversity of authors in the field today. Our interviews are available 24-7 through direct podcasts, as well as MP3 download from your computer for your convenience. Please visit us at InsideScoopLive.com. Welcome back to Inside Scoop Live. Today I'm talking with Michael Pronko, author of The Last Train. For more information about Michael Pronko and his work, visit his website at www.michaelpronko.com. But I played the piano, and so I had a couple of really good teachers when I was young that uh, helped me to improvise and showed me a lot of chords and showed me that I don't have to stay inside the classical music format that mm-hmm. you know it's okay to make music outside of you know paint outside the lines play outside the uh, the bars so you know i thought that was really appealing to me not to have to do it exactly as i'm supposed to right and so yeah so i just kind of followed that up and was always kind of interested in jazz and i think later on i understood that jazz is kind of more intensely controlled in some ways so that you are able to produce music spontaneously. And to me, it's like the model for writing, uh, which is, you know, if you write a novel, you have to have a very, very tight sense of structure, right? Mm -hmm. And you need to have a very kind of high level of control over sentences. But then those two things is what allows you to be really free mm-hmm. in in the other aspects of the novel. And so, I don't know, you know, I think jazz is kind of a basic pattern, a basic practice mm-hmm. um, for all arts. Anyway, that's that's how I see it. So Yeah. Hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about your website. Yeah, well, the website is just uh, a lot of fun. I'd gotten asked to write about jazz again because nobody knew about jazz. So uh, I was writing for an online magazine about Tokyo, which since died a very sad death, but it got me writing about jazz and going out to hear jazz. And Tokyo, Yokohama has like, you know, a hundred clubs with live music every night. You know, it's hard to even imagine that's true. It is. And so I started going out a lot and seeing the jazz musicians and, of course, talking with them more and more. And they just seemed a fascinating contrast with the typical salaryman. Salaryman is the English word taken into Japanese to describe businessmen. Businessmen are, you know, kind of uptight and white shirt, black tie, serious, you know. The suits. Yeah, 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 the suits. (laughs) And I'd seen that and, you know, Japanese professors are a little bit more like businessmen than than they are like jazz people. So I just 
really loved this whole jazz world. The people were so interesting and so different and so dedicated to the music. So after writing for that online magazine, Japan Times, I finally just started my own website. Hmm. Uh, And uh, yeah, I write reviews of CDs, of live shows, as they uh, call them. Live shows is just, you know, performances. And uh, try to put down some ideas about jazz and about Japanese jazz in particular. Mm-hmm. There's another site or two about jazz in Japan, but mine's been up for a long time and just try to keep adding to it all the time. In fact, the one thing I've kind of missed, I'm outside of Tokyo now, is is writing about that all the time. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It becomes an addiction like anything else. So Yeah, and for our listeners, the website is jazzinjapan.com. Check mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, please check it out. So how long are you back in the States? Well, uh, I'm just back in the States for a couple of months and traveling around a little bit, seeing a lot of things that, you know, seen kind of since I was a kid, like, you know, the Grand Canyon. Yeah, oh, wow. I've been there, but I was 12 years old, you know, so I don't remember it. And Yeah, so doing a road trip and setting up a kind of virtual road trip website for my students so oh, they nice. can kind of see, yeah, they can kind of see different places and special things in different parts of America, and that'll kind of be a springboard to their own presentations on, yeah. oh, I don't know, different cities or, you know, music or food or, you know, they love giving presentations on food and uh, whatever part of American culture they can kind of grab onto. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So to circle back to your writing, what are your thoughts on the discipline of writing? Do you have a process? Do you mm-hmm. write every day? Oh, yes, yes, I write every day. And on this road trip, I had to kind of rethink, how can I do that? You can't write and drive a car at the same time. Or at least <laughs> I can. So I got a little voice recorder and whatever, speech to text translator or program or uh, app, I guess, yeah. uh, to kind of help with that. So, yeah, so I've been doing that kind of as I drive. I have a little teensy microphone. I turn the radio off and write as I'm driving on the road. So it's a little strange talking to myself in the middle of nowhere, but I guess that's what writing is anyway. Uh, <laughs> you know, kind of talking to yourself in, in the middle of nowhere. But Yeah, but I think um, writing is just something that you have to do every day. And for a long time, I had newspaper and magazine deadline, in addition to teaching, that really forced me to just be efficient, I guess. Mm-hmm. And to be efficient, you have to be disciplined. I mean, there's no way to let the, you know, the newspaper has to go out. You know, it's the deadline. So there's no, <laughs> you know, there's no way to kind of say, oh, could I give it to you tomorrow? I mean, it doesn't work like that. So yeah. uh, that was really helpful to kind of get that discipline of just getting your butt in the chair and your fingers on the keyboards. I think you do have to really write every day in whatever way you do that. I mean, it could be rewriting, it could be outlining, it could be working from, say, a book about how to edit to your latest manuscript. 
but I think you can't let a few days even go by without focusing on that. Yeah. Uh, that's my idea. And the more you do it, the more easy it is. It doesn't seem like uh, a task or something. It's more like, oh, okay, well, I'm back at the keyboard. This feels good. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. So what's next for the Tokyo Mystery Series? Yeah, I just finished the draft of the next in the series, uh, oh. same police characters, Hiroshi and uh, Sakakuchi and Takamatsu. They'll be back. And it's called Japan Hand, about an uh, American who is murdered. Uh, he had been a longtime resident of Japan and was kind of a diplomat of sorts from the 1950s. Anyway, why does he get killed and what does that lead to? So I just finished that and sent that off to the editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully she'll be merciful and <laughs> elegant with me, but somehow I doubt it. And then after that, I have another one drafted called Tie Girl in Tokyo, which is, I don't know, the title may change since it doesn't roll off the tongue somehow, but it's about a young Thai girl who gets lost uh, inside Tokyo, but found by another uh, Japanese girl. So I don't know when that one will be done. Mm -hmm. Maybe about next year this time, I hope. Uh, Japan Hand should be out uh, February 2018, if all goes well, which it almost certainly won't. But (laughs) if everything magically comes together, that would be February 2018. Yeah. So how does writing a second and third novel compare to writing your first? Was it easier once you got one under your belt? Uh, Yes and no, I guess. It was easier in the sense that I had the character, the detective developed, and I knew a little bit what his reactions and what his processes were. So that was definitely easier. It was nice to have him kind of there. And I think it was nice also to have a sense of how the novel has to work, you know, what needs to be where in the story. Uh, the setting was also there, and so, you know, it's also set in Tokyo, so that was easier in a sense. But I think it's still heavy lifting kind of to get everything in place. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always like, Ah, this doesn't work, or, ah, you know, I put in a sex scene, and then I took out the sex scene, and then I put the <laughs> sex scene back in, and, you know, and, oh, ah, you know, and then I shortened it, et cetera, et cetera. So I think those things are just kind of the same difficulty, same level mm-hmm. of difficulty, but at least you know it's coming. It's not like any surprise, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. like, okay, you know, I put the sex scene in and out, like, you know, over and over, you know, but, but it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, that's just part of the process. So, you know, tough it out. <laughs> yeah. So, so in that sense, easier, I guess. Yeah. I guess it's also a matter of knowing when to put the pencil down, so to speak. Well, yeah. that's right. Yeah, knowing when to stop is, is hard because you go over it again and again and again and, yeah, sometimes I think, oh, gosh, I just I want to go through it again. But 
I'm just so sick of it. <laughs> so, you know, and, and that's kind of, you know, what editors are for, which is yeah. to get that feedback from them. I find that super helpful. Yeah. Absolutely. So, well, Michael, we are just about out of time, so I wanted to ask you a final question uh, before we hmm. go, and that is that what advice can you give to aspiring authors? Oh, yeah. Well, a couple things. Um, first, as I said before, I would write every day. I think it has to become a habit, and the habit is maybe less the production of actual words than it is confronting the inner conflict of writing. I think writing has lots of you know internal difficulties. It's hard to write. It's difficult. But you have to like confront that all the time and sit down and just say, oh, this is terrible. And then you suffer through the terrible passage and you get to something better. But you can only do that if you write every day. Yeah. And then the second thing I think is that it's, at least for me, I'm not sure if this applies to everybody, but I really liked writing in different genres, different styles. I was writing kind of personal, short narrative pieces. I was writing editorials, jazz reviews, and now the novel. But for me, having the process of writing something that people read, that was really essential because, you know, writing something for yourself, writing something for uh, people to look at is really different. And somehow, some way, consistently putting your writing out into the public sphere, that's really important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those two things are primary. One other thing I might suggest, uh, you know, I think maybe writers don't always want to admit it, but I think a lot of writers read how-to books and, you know, how to write, how to edit, how to create great characters, how to, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a million of those books out now. Right. Um, I find them all a little bit like pop psychology. It's like you kind of know it, but knowing it and doing it is two different things. So I take those books with a grain of salt and a lot of it overlaps, but I find those really helpful. I mean, reading the books is like talking over the process of writing. So I'd really recommend people read those. Don't follow them like a, a recipe exactly, you know, for a right. cake or something like that. But, but, you know, it gives you pretty good advice, and advice really helps. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so I think that that would be the other advice I'd give people. Uh, take advice. <laughs> a roundabout there, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah, that's good advice. Take advice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, Michael, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed getting to know more about you and your passions. Oh, well, thank you so much. To our listeners, thank you for joining me today at Inside Scoop Live for my interview with Michael Pronko, author of The Last Train. Once again, you can learn more about Michael and his work at www.michaelpronko.com. And be sure to check out our other interviews at InsideScoopLive.com. <laughs>